We're glad you're here this morning. This is a unique environment. I, uh, this is my first time at Francis Slocum State Park. It seems beautiful. I hope, can everybody hear me by the way? We don't have any sound amplification, so if I sound like I'm shouting, I'm not mad or angry. Just trying to send the message this morning. So we are going to do continue our sermon series through the book of Ephesians today. If you have your Bibles, join us in Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to do my best to keep this brief, but I know what you're thinking, so we'll get there together. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, this is a classic passage, a passage we're probably all familiar with, but it's good for us. It's good for us to be, either be reminded of these things or for maybe for some of us to hear this for the first time. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10 under the theme of our Ephesians series called Lifestyles of the Rich and Godly. Hopefully you've enjoyed this journey with us. This is our fourth lesson into this this morning, or into this this fall, and it's really been a blessing to my soul and Pastor Mel's as well. Did you ever receive a really amazing gift? Think back to when you were younger. What was the best Christmas or birthday present you ever received? I think I've told this before, but one of the years... I really asked my parents for this present all year long, and so it was one of those presents you knew probably wasn't going to happen, but if it did, it was going to be amazing. So Travis and I, my younger brother, both asked for this gift thinking it's a long shot, but we got to at least plant the seed. <laughs> so we planted that seed probably January 1st of that year, just so it could marinate and have a long time in their minds, and so... I remember the, it was like the Christmas of, I'm dating myself here, but probably the Christmas of 91 or something like that. I was probably 11 years old. <clears throat> and uh, all the presents had been opened. And I was kind of disappointed, although I'd gotten some good gifts. I didn't really get the gift I wanted. I was like, oh, okay, whatever. I knew it was a long shot. And then my dad and mom said, actually, we have one more gift for the boys. And they went out behind the tree or in the closet or something like that and pulled out this long-shaped gift. And I got really excited now thinking, oh man, is this it? Is this it? Have they been toying with us? And uh, they've set the gifts before us and we tore into these gifts. And what Trav and I had asked for, this is going to make you think of a movie. That's right. You guys are already tracking with me. We wanted a BB gun. I don't know if it was Red Rider necessarily, but it was a BB gun. And I knew asking for that gift, it's the same, it's the same logic. We would shoot our eye outs or shoot some, some pet or shoot some neighborhood friend. So probably weren't going to get that gift. But when the gift came before me, and I realized it was at least the shape of the present, we tore into that thing. And I remember just getting that gift being dumbfounded that my parents actually got us the BB gun that we asked for. And that was an amazing gift. And uh, we cherished that thing for a day and a half. And <laughs> we were on to next Christmas by that point. But did you ever receive a really amazing gift? Probably if you would ask me now, what is the best gift I ever received on earth? I'd have to say, I'd have to start with my wife even though she's not here today, but my wife impacts in a good way every area of my life, and she's a true present to me. But every child, if you've had children before, every child is a gift. We have six gifts. One is here, five are at home because they're sick. They're sick today, but every child is a gift. Today we're going to talk about a present. We're going to talk about the best present ever, and we're calling the sermon today the free gift of life to the glory of God. The free gift of life to the glory of God. And if you're in Ephesians with me, chapter 2, follow along as I read verses 1 to 10. This is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, 
the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, this is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I reference this movie a lot, but if you've ever seen The Christmas Carol, it's my favorite movie of all time. And I like the movie because of the story of redemption of Ebenezer Scrooge. And I know it's not necessarily a biblical movie, but I like the story of Ebenezer Scrooge. I like how the movie portrays this guy and the way that Scrooge finishes up. But at the beginning of the movie, they have to really develop the character Ebenezer Scrooge, right? As a miser and a wretch and a miserable creature. Because if they don't do that, you won't understand the transformation that takes place in Ebenezer Scrooge at the end of the movie, right? So they do a lot to develop the character at the beginning of how miserable and, and a wretch that he is. So by the time he transforms, it makes its mark. Well, this passage is kind of in the same tune. It tells us a few things in verses 1 to 3 we don't really want to hear about ourselves. But it's so that in verse 4 to 10, we can understand this amazing gift that God has given us. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through this passage. I'm going to do it quickly. It's going to be like a, just a punch in the face today, hopefully in a good way. But it's going to be fast. It's going to be a lot. But I ask that you just sort of follow along with me. And we're getting, we need to understand in verses 1 to 3, what was our spiritual resume before receiving this gift, if you have received this gift. Verses 1 to 3 sort of tells us what we were before the eyes of God. And it's not pretty. I'm going to tell you right now, this is not a pretty picture. But it is a real picture. It's a true picture of our soul before Jesus Christ. So let's just start here with what Paul says. He uses a word to get our attention here. He says you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That word grabs your attention, doesn't it? Because it doesn't say badly off. It doesn't say diseased. It doesn't say we're going a wrong direction, although all of that is true. Paul says you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And even that phrase, if you highlight that phrase, is quite unique. We have this uh, zombie craze in our culture today. Everybody wants to watch and talk about zombies. And look, Listen to this phrase. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. It's like a spiritual zombie. You're functioning, you're moving about in the physical realm, in the flesh, but you're dead spiritually. Dead. And that word needs to grab our attention, and that's exactly, Paul is not doing this for hyperbole. This is the reality. In God's eyes, in the thing that matters, we were dead. And then he describes what that death looks like. So we're not foggy on that, going, what, Paul, what did you, what did you mean by that? The next few things we're going to look at is describing spiritual death. Okay, so just follow along as it says there in the passage. The first thing he says is you 
follow the course of this world. That doesn't sound too bad, does it? That sounds kind of benign. Like, ah, yeah, so what? So I'm going the way everybody else is going. Well, I don't know if you've ever had to follow someone because you didn't know where you're going somewhere. This would have been me today if I didn't go with my parents. I've never been to Francis Locum. But if you ever had to follow someone who is taking you to some place you don't know how to go to, what you need to do is you need to follow them. You need to go where they go. You need to turn when they turn and stop when they stop and go when they go. Well, the thing about the world, the course of this world is they're going the wrong way. Okay, you and I are on a journey to heaven, Lord willing. And we need to follow somebody. But Paul says you followed the course of this world who's going the complete opposite direction. They're actually, and it's hard to say, it's hard to think about, on a fast track to destruction. They're going to hell. And he said, Paul said, for a while you followed them. Now, there is one that's going the opposite direction, that's going the right way, and we're going to talk about him, but when you follow the course of this world, you went completely the wrong way. So if you were following someone in your car, and you steered around and went around and took a U-turn and started following someone else, that's kind of what he's talking about here. You went the wrong way. It's a bad direction. The next thing he says is you followed the devil, and the way he describes the devil is this, the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience. Follow the devil. So that one tells you a little bit more, right? Of how bad you were going. How wrong the direction is you were going. You followed the devil. I don't know if anybody would love to assume that about their lives, thinking, I don't follow anybody. Maybe the world would think that. I don't follow God. I don't follow the devil. I'm kind of my own God. But biblically, it doesn't teach us that. It either Christ or the devil. You're either going north or you're going south. And this following the devil is not like that cool rebel Fonzie character back at Happy Days, right? Where it's good to be bad. It's not good to be bad. It's not good to go against the God that created you. The God that sustains you. The God that gave his son for you. But we were, all of us, myself included, following the course of this world and following the devil. That's eye-opening. But we have to understand that because we need to understand it's wrong. It's bad. It's leading us to destruction. The next thing he says is you lived in the passions of your flesh. Which again, you can make that sound good. It's not a bad thing, right? I lived in the passions of my flesh. But really, it sounds to me kind of animalistic. Remember the old hippie phrase, if it feels good, do it? feels good, do it. Whatever feels good, whatever makes you happy, whatever makes your flesh feel good, do it. That is a bad way to live. That is not how God created us. To live for the passions, the sinful passions of our flesh. But we were. Whatever we set up that we wanted to do, we chased it, we did it, we found pleasure in it. And most of those things, if not all of those things, are things that God said, I hate that. That's against my nature. That's against my holiness. Not only were we doing them, we were passionate about those things. You start to understand here what, what was, what's the reality of our soul. Then he says, you carried out the desires of the body and mind. There's another sign of death. In other words, you tried to be your own God. So you didn't find out God's desires and God's will. You did whatever you thought was best. And therefore you became your own God. This is what I think is best. This is my perspective. 
This is what I think is best and what I'm going to do. And so I did it. God says, that's not how I created you. I created you in the image of God. I created you to know my will, to know my desires, to know my glory, and to go that way. And you didn't. And then he tops it off with this last phrase. You were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That tells you a little bit about where we're going, right? Child of wrath like the rest of mankind. This isn't just, you weren't perfect. God, if he was going to give you a grade, was going to give you a B plus instead of an A. No, it's not what we're dealing with. Wrath. What does that word teach us? It's punishment. It's angry, righteous punishment that was deserved us because of what we just talked about. Because of this, because of this one fact, God hates evil. You have to know that about our God. He's loving, we're going to get to that. He's kind and gracious, we're going to get to that. But he hates evil. He does not wink at sin, or God never winks at sin. And he will, if it remains that way, destroy everyone who remains evil. Because he's God and he's holy and he's righteous. And Paul says every one of us, himself included, myself included, were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Remember this past week we talked about the inheritance of Christ that awaits every Christian? This is the complete opposite of that. Punishment. Righteous indignation from our God because of what we have done, because of the lifestyle that we led. Now that is not pleasing to talk about, and I understand it's probably not pleasing to hear. But unless you understand verses 1 to 3, you will never appreciate verse 4. Because before verse 4, if that's where it ended, we are all utterly hopeless. Hopeless. I don't know if you've ever felt hopeless or sensed hopelessness. It's a horrible thing. Horrible to feel hopeless. And if you read verses 1 to 3, that's where you arrive at, hopelessness. But notice the quick change from verses 3 to 4. Because in verse 4 it says, but God. Now it could say a lot of things here. It could say, but God was really angry. And God was ready to destroy us. Does it say that? Does your Bible say that? Mine doesn't say that. Mine says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. Now we're going to look at what has come to us. The gift, the present that God has given to us. Remember how he started the sermon. What's the best present you ever received? This, if you're in Christ tops every list. Because we were not lovable creatures after verse 3. We're not. This is not something that God is going, oh, I, uh, whatever, their lifestyle, I, I love them too much. No, he's looking at their lifestyle going, that is putrid and wicked and ugly, but I'm full of mercy. And I created those people. So I'm going to do something. I'm going to give them something. And it's going to change them forever once they receive this gift. Let's now look at the gift, okay? Because Paul said, if you're like the Ephesians, who have received the gift, this is your reality. What we're going to talk about next is your reality. If you're like the Ephesians and have accepted the gift, have turned to Christ, but if not, you still need to receive this gift today. So we're going to talk about this gift, but I need you to sort of ask the question, of your soul today is, have I received this gift? Have I received 
the gift of life from God. Okay, let's look at what Paul says. He says, when you were unlovable, God loved you greatly. While you were doing everything wrong, God loved you during that season. Now, it's not that we cleaned ourselves up, made ourselves presentable to God, and then he said, okay, yes, I love you now. No, the scripture speaks opposite. While you were ugly, while you were sinful, while you were going the wrong way, God loved you then. And look what he did because of that great, rich and great love and mercy. He said, he made you alive together in Christ. Now, if you understand the death the life is that much sweeter. If you understand the reality of your soul before Christ, that will give you goosebumps that you were made alive together in Christ. God raised you from the spiritual dead to think, to reason, to have a soft heart towards the things of God, where before we didn't. We didn't. But God raised us from the dead with Christ, in Christ, because of Christ, because of what he did on the cross. And then he says this, by his grace he saved you. From what? What did we need to be saved from? Well, two things. Sin and the death that follows that sin. Now yes, we were spiritually dead, but we were still in this sort of limbo where we haven't received the second death yet. That second death is a place we called hell. And God saved us from the sinful path of chasing that hell and turned us around, and raised us up, and gave us a spiritual heart, and a mind, and a, and a longing for Christ that we wouldn't have otherwise. God saved us. We used to be utterly hopeless, and now we are filled with hope. God saved us by his own power, by his own mercy. He reached down and saved me, saved you, if you've had the gift, from spiritual, eternal death and separation from your God. And the best kind of gift is the gift that keeps on giving, right? The other year I had this decision I had to make for my dad to get him a ticket to a basketball game or to get him every game to watch on TV. So I decided, I don't know if I made the right, I don't know if that's what you wanted, but I decided <laughs> to get him the gift that keeps on giving. Instead of going to one game and having the memories and just for, you know, I gave him the gift of every game. So we, we got, we chipped in, we got him the NBA package and he could watch all the games. Well, the best gift that we could ever gift is a gift that lingers and lasts, right? Unlike every Christmas present and birthday present you ever received, there's a time on it. There's a time clock on it before you put it away or you throw it away or you want something newer. But look what God has given us in Christ. He made you alive together with Christ. Your eternal life, if you're in Christ, has started already. You're not waiting for eternal life. You're experiencing eternal life with Christ. He saved you. You're not going the way of sin and death any longer. But you still have things to come. It says, Paul's speaking like in the past tense here, but this is a gift. This is a part of the gift that we're still waiting for. He said he raised you up with Christ. That's a gift for the future. Because where is Christ today? Is he on the earth? Is he dead? Does he, where is he? He's on his throne in heaven. And Paul is saying, if you've received this gift, that is your future too. 
Yes, you will die. If the Lord doesn't come back during your lifetime, you will experience earthly death. But you will raise with Christ. And look what he says after that. You will be seated with Christ in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You ever been to one of those weddings where they have like the wedding table at the reception area where only the wedding party sits? I've been in several weddings, so I've been at that table. And there's other tables in the room. And then there's that special wedding table. God has a version of that table in eternity. Only every single person who gets there will be there. And I want you to picture that this table is glorious. Christ is there. And you have a name tag with a seat because of this gift with your name on it that God is waiting to give you that will be yours for the rest of time. And Paul is saying, if you've received this gift, that's your reality. That's your future. You will be with your Lord and you will sit with Him and be with Him for the rest of time. Amen? But I want you to notice one thing here. Who gets the glory for this? God. God loved you greatly. God made you alive together in Christ. By God's grace, He saved you. God raised you up with Christ. God seated you with Christ in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you see that it's a gift? Do you see that it's a gift that was given to you, that is offered to you if you haven't received it yet? It's a free gift. I mean, that's what a gift is, right? If if I pay for something, that's not a gift. That's a purchase. But if someone gives me a gift, it's free. God has a free gift for us today, and it's eternal life in his Son. Here's the question I have for all of us today. Why would God sacrifice his Son in order to save spiritually dead, broken people? Why would he do that? Why would he give up his most treasured person, Jesus, in order to save spiritually dead and broken people? Why? I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't give up my most treasured son or daughter or wife for something that is entirely broken. In fact, if you know things in your life that have broken, what do you do with those things? Unless you're really good at fixing things. We live in America, let's be honest. We love to throw stuff away, right? Throw it out, get something new. It's not worth fixing it. And my car just got hit the other week and I'm rooting for it to get totaled so I can get something better or newer or whatever, I don't know. But God saw us broken and dead and he sent his son to die for us. Why would he do that at such a cost? Well, Paul tells us. Here's why. Here's why. Don't be vague. Here's why God did that. Number one, so that he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The reason God did it primarily, because he loved us, that was not primary. The reason is so that he would display himself. Because God loves his own glory, and we should love God's glory too. God said, if I love them now, I display the immeasurable riches of my grace and kindness to the world. People will know God if they present themselves and clean themselves up and come back to God in a clean state, they won't know God. But if I love them while they're unlovable and wicked and wretches and going the wrong way, 
I will display to this world how rich my grace is, how long my kindness is, how deep my love is. And that's what he did. And the second thing it says, so that we would credit only the grace and the glory of God and never boast in ourselves. If you know anything about this gift, there's not a chance you can take an ounce of credit for it. You give only glory to God for this great gift that he's given you at such a cost at the death of his son. So that we would never pat ourselves on the back and say, it was my good works. It was my religious background. It was my learned understanding of scripture no it was not none of us can say that it was the gift and the glory of god and then he says in verse 10 here's another reason so that you would walk and live in good works which god created for you to do he says we are his workmanship which god created for us to do it's interesting there's this tension even in two verses of works he wants us to know in verse 9 works did not save you Works could never save you. You are not saved by works. You are saved by God's grace. But in verse 10, he wants you to know works are not bad because I saved you so that you could do good works. Does that make sense? You're not saved by works. You're saved so that you can do good works, which God created for you to do. And you have to understand both sides. If we go too extreme here, we'll misunderstand something about works. They can't save us, but now that I am saved, it's my purpose to do good things. So what, is all this, what does all this mean today? If you're following the train today, number one, we're in deep trouble before we receive this gift. We're in deep trouble with God before Jesus comes to our soul. And Jesus didn't die for no reason, people. If there was another way for God to display himself, if there was another way to save us, he wouldn't let Jesus die. But he sacrificed his son because that was the only way to redeem us from our sins. And that proves to us today we have to be saved or else we remain dead and hopeless before God. But it also means this, God is more than willing to save us. Do you know that? God is more than willing to save us through Jesus. He's rich in mercy. He's full of abundant love towards his people. In fact, he sent Jesus for that very reason. Not to condemn, not to judge, but to save. That is the gift. The salvation is an extension of the gift. Who's the real gift? Jesus. You don't just get eternal life. You get Jesus. He becomes your bridegroom. He becomes your friend. He becomes your protector. Your ally. Forever. It also means that God is to receive all the glory for our salvation through Jesus Christ. We should want to display God's goodness and love to this world. Because his goodness and love, when it was displayed to me, met my life with, with God forever. And when I display his goodness and love to other people, they too can come from death to life. But I have to understand it's all to the glory of God. Number four, we should be incredibly grateful for God's great love towards us. 
It was all God's plan and all God's grace and all accomplished through God's Son. We're not that far from the season of Thanksgiving where we take one day a year and we go around the table and we say something we're thankful for. But when the scriptures speak about being grateful for this gift, you know what it says? Abound in thanksgiving. Abound in it. If you understand the gift that has come to you, you won't thank God in passing moments here and there. You won't wait one day a year. You will abound in thanksgiving because this touches and reaches every area of your life for the rest of time, this gift. And number five, what should we do? Or what does this mean? We should be convinced that although our works cannot save us, as we mentioned before, we are created to do good works. We are created to do good works. And good works, when we do them, display our God and they love one another. And God wants us to know that if you're saved, if you receive this free gift, that's your job title. Do good works. Do things that represent your God. Live like the Lord Jesus Christ to this world. So this is a free gift today, and this free gift is quite simple. If you have received it, live in it. Be grateful for it. Abound in thanksgiving. Do good works. If you haven't, receive it today. Because without it, we're hopeless. So in order to receive this gift, there's a few things that need to happen, okay? In order to receive this gift, number one, you need to understand that you need it. Every one of us need this gift. We can't skirt this gift. We can't get to God without this gift. We have to see our desperate state before God without Jesus. Do you? Do you see that without Jesus, you're completely undone before God? Number two, if you understand that you need this gift, you have to believe that God wants to give you this gift. God is not teasing anybody here today, saying, I have a great gift for you. You want it too bad? No. God sent his son, Jesus, offensively so he could love us willingly and that gift will impact every area of our life but we need to understand that god wants us to have that gift today number three scripturally speaking in order to receive this gift you need to repent of your sins you need to turn away from your old lifestyle the dead lifestyle and you need to follow jesus by faith I don't know if you've ever tried to carry two awkward things at the same time. I'm, I'm the guy that when I go grocery shopping, I don't like to make two trips into the house. So I take 18 bags on me. And then I try to get the drinks that I got from McDonald's in as well at the same time. So I look like a fumbling idiot when I come up the stairs. And Janine looks at me, and every time she says, put the drinks down. Take half the bags off your shoulders. Well, if, if you want to receive this gift in Jesus Christ, there's not a chance any of us can keep our sins and receive the gift. In order to receive this gift, the sins have to be laid aside forever. And that's what repentance means. Lay the sins aside. They're hurting you. They're hurting your God. And you cannot receive this gift while you hold your sins. You also need to see that a loving covenant relationship with the gift giver is the real point of the gift. The gift is life. But embedded in that is the best gift imaginable. A loving covenant relationship with the God who gave you the gift. And Jesus said, before you come and receive this gift, before you do it, before you just say, yes, yes, I want the gift, give it to me. 
He said, count the cost. Count the cost. What will it mean for you to follow Jesus for the rest of your life? If this gift is important to you and meaningful to you and you need it, what will it demand for you to love God for the rest of your life? Because that's the point of the gift. Not just that you don't die, so that you have a loving covenant relationship with the God of the universe. And Jesus wants you to have that gift in him. He wants you to have it by following him because when you follow him, you get everything. Everything that comes to Christ. Everything that is good about God, you get it all. Not only do you get the gift, you get the fountain of all gifts. As we mentioned already, you need to be prepared to live for good works. In other words, I'm going to say it this way, you need to desire to give a gift back to God. I hope every one of us who have received this gift aren't selfish and just want God to keep bestowing things upon us as it's a one-way love. No. Every single person who receives this gift says the same thing. God, how can I love you now? How can I love you now? Because loving God is also a gift to us. The opportunity to love our God. You need to always remember to glorify God. You need to praise the gift giver because we have nothing without him. We sing about it, and we have to, because we have to be reminded that without Christ, we have nothing. And we need to find out what pleases your God. Everybody who's wanted to give a gift to someone, you've got to do a little research, a little homework, to find out what they like. What are they into, right? Everyone who wants to give a good gift to someone has to find that out. Find that out. How? Get into the Word of God, and He will show you. This is how you love me, if you desire to. Love God. Give Him glory. And number seven, be baptized and share the gospel. Proclaim to the world that you have received this free gift and you want everyone to know it. You're not ashamed of it. This gift has impacted every area of my life. It means I have hope in the valleys and the dark periods of life. And I will represent that to this world. I will let everyone know I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ is my Lord. Christ is my gift. Eternal life is what I have in him. And I will let everyone know it. Be baptized in his name. And then tell everyone. Tell everyone. Everyone you know who needs to know about this gift. So the question today is, have you received the free gift of eternal life from God by turning to Jesus? I don't know. I assume most of you have. But you need to ask that question today. Have you received the free gift from God by turning to his son. Without this gift, we're hopeless and we're doomed. With this gift, we have joy, peace, and security forever. And I mean that word, forever. And if you need this gift today and you need more questions answered, I want you to know you can come talk to me, Pastor Mel, today, and we would love to sit down with you and explore this even more because I don't want anybody walking away. This isn't about a picnic today. Although we want to have a picnic, and we will. This is about God's grace through Jesus and the gift of eternal life that I hope you have received or will receive by the end of today. Can we pray? Father, thank you for this gift. You are the gift giver. You receive all glory for this gift. Jesus, you are the one who laid down your life. You are the one whom all treasures and happiness flow through. 
I pray for the souls here, Father, for those who have received this gift, that we would live in this gift. We would love to do good works and love to live for the glory of God. Make that our ambition from sunup to sundown. For those who haven't received the gift, Father, touch their souls today so they realize that being away from God is hopelessness. And being with God forever is the greatest treasure we could ever imagine. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the opportunity to study this today. Bless this picnic. Bless those who brought food and made things. And Father, we just thank you for it. Give you all credit and glory for what's happening in this church that is good. Thank you for the food we're about to eat. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.